just consider that what may seem mundane to you in your area of expertise or, or the area of interest where you're making your content actually might be of a lot of interest to many other people. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of Anesthesia and Pain Management Success. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Max Feinstein. Dr. Feinstein is currently a CA3 in Mount Sinai in New York. He has a master's in bioethics. And the reason he's here today, I think he has done an exceptional job of cultivating a following on, of all places, YouTube, through educational videos he's created, having to do with the specialty of anesthesiology. And I'm really excited to talk to him today about his journey. Welcome, Dr. Feinstein. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Please call me Max. And uh, I'm sure. excited, Justin. Yeah, happy to do that. So why don't you, for starters, for our listeners, and you know, before we jumped on this discussion, I, I was mentioning to you, I, I think that physicians being able to carve out their own corner of cyberspace, it's really important for a lot of reasons. And for any, any listeners who haven't heard some of my prior conversations on this topic, would encourage you right now to go to domains.google.com, check and see if first name, last name, .com of your name is available and grab it. <laughs> but for you, Max, talk about your journey, what has taken you into medicine, what has taken you into anesthesia, and ultimately what has taken you to becoming a rock star on YouTube. I had a very circuitous route to where I am right now. I actually was very interested at a young age in uh, music. I grew up playing drums. And when I was in high school, I was playing in bands and I was very interested in recording. So I actually, my parents are really supportive of whatever endeavor I have picked up and they were fine with me having a drum set in the house. And I, I made a small studio and I was recording my bands. And so then when I went to college, that's what I wanted to do. And I spent the first year and a half at the University of Southern California getting working towards a degree in music business with an emphasis on recording. And the more that I learned about the industry, the less I was excited about becoming part of it. But I wasn't sure what else I wanted to do. So I ended up asking my brother-in-law for some advice. And so why don't you get a philosophy degree? You can, you can do philosophy. You can demonstrate that you can, can think critically about anything. And I, I thought that was a pretty, pretty compelling argument. So I ended up getting a philosophy degree, which was wonderful. The only thing that I didn't do was figure out how to practically apply that degree to anything else. I really just, by the time I graduated from college, didn't have any particular interest. And so I had circled back to an experience I had when I was in high school where I'd done some shadowing in an ambulance and thought, well, you know, maybe I'd be interested in medicine. And so after I graduated college, I started taking pre-medicine classes. The, there's a program called a, a post-baccalaureate pre-medical program where you can just take the, the necessary classes to apply to medical school. I did that for a couple of years and thought it would be a great fit. And so then I ended up in medical school. How did you land in anesthesia specifically? Anesthesia was also a, a circuitous route. I had spent a long time thinking I would go into infectious diseases. I loved the idea of 
sort of solving mysteries. That's, that's really, I think the reputation that infectious diseases have, you have to go uncover as many clues as you can and, you know, try and figure out exactly what it is that the patient is, is bringing to the table. Theoretic- I love episodes of house as much as the next guy. <laughs> exactly. And so I was really captivated by you know, a book that I'd read by Tracy Kidder. It's a biography of an infectious disease specialist who unfortunately has passed away, Paul Farmer, just really inspiring physician and person. And so I thought, wow, I'd love to aspire to be something like that. But as, as you know, the first couple of years of medical school are, are pre-clinical. And so I hadn't gotten into really clinical medicine at all. And then once I did, and I saw what the day-to-day life of an infectious diseases specialist is like, and I'm so glad that there are people who are willing to to do that, but I was just not one of those people there. You know, the outpatient clinic is just not something that made me really excited. And then the day-to-day inpatient uh, services uh, similarly were not particularly captivating for me. So I, yeah, I started to look elsewhere and I was on a, I have, of all things, I was on an OB-GYN rotation and happened to start talking with the anesthesia resident who was in the operating room. And I, I knew nothing about anesthesiology. And I thought, yeah, I mean, basically I, it was my understanding. They just had a patient go to sleep and then they sat there, maybe played to whatever the game was that was popular at that point, you know, a decade ago. And then just woke the patient up at the end and didn't really know a lot about medicine. And in the conversation that I had with this resident, I learned that there's really a, a broad base of understanding for medicine that you have to have to do anesthesiology, much like an internist. And so that really resonated with my initial interest and, in, in, you know, going to internal medicine and then infectious diseases afterwards. And so, you know, that was my introduction to anesthesiology. And the more I learned about it, the more I loved it and ended up taking the dive. It's, it's one of those things that's really tough. If you find a new interest in medical school and you have only been interested in it for a handful of months, and then it's time to apply to residency. Yeah. And then you're looking at the rest of your life that is linked to that decision. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I took the dive and I am so grateful I did. I, as, as you pointed out, I'm a CA3, so PGY4 anesthesiology resident and have just loved the training and I'm really looking forward to a career as an anesthesiologist. And one of the other components is a master's in bioethics. So talk a little bit about that and I'm sure it's linked to the philosophy. Exactly. So that, you know, years later ended up being the actual connection to my philosophy background was, you know, figuring out how to think critically about some of the more philosophical problems that come up in medicine and be able to apply that to clinical medicine or, I mean, really any aspect of of medicine. And so I, I felt like the degree that I got, it was a dual degree during medical school, really just helped me think about what I was learning in medical school from another dimension and has just really enriched the experience that I had in medical school and also in residency as well. I don't have any really formal role with an ethics committee. For example, I, I had, had dabbled with ethics committees over the years and it, not something that I, at, at least at this point, spend you know, much time doing, but have also spent time doing research uh, related to ethics. And, and there are even a lot of ethical considerations as far as anesthesiology is concerned. So I, I spent some time thinking about those, but it was a nice way to, to sort of circle back to the philosophy degree and make it something that is a little more adjacent to what I do on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. 
And then, so now you're CA3 and you've got this YouTube channel. For our listeners, go to the, the show notes. So apmsuccess.com slash 185. I'll link to all the various collateral that Max has created out there, including his YouTube channel. Coming up on 9 million views, I believe, I checked this morning. I'm curious to understand, like, you know, so you mentioned anesthesia, you're in New York. At what point were you thinking, huh, I want to start documenting this and I want to share with the outside world kind of what it's like to be an anesthesia resident? And then how did things unfold for you? Yeah, the origin of the YouTube channel, which just far surpassed what I thought I might gather in terms of interest for what I was doing, it started it, there. I mean, there basically was nothing good that came from COVID. But if I guess for me, call anything a silver lining, it's that when the initial pandemic hit and uh, I was an intern, I was rotating through internal medicine. And, and so I was not on anesthesiology yet. I still had a few months before I was getting ready to start my formal anesthesia training. And I was given a schedule that was designed to try to reduce burnout. And I would say it was very effective. So we were scheduled to have a week on of service on the internal medicine service, and then a week completely off. And then we were just alternating week on week off. And so I found myself during the week off with nothing to do. And this was the very beginning of the pandemic. Everything was completely shut down, but you know, fortunately I live really close to central park and my wife and I had my wife who is the same PGY level as me. And she's a dermatology resident. And we had just gotten a dog right before the pandemic started. So we spent just a lot of time walking around central park with our dog. And the other thing we were doing with our time was what everyone else was doing, which was just watching everything that was on Netflix. And then I, I mean, I never really spent any time on YouTube, but you know, after we watched everything on Netflix and we started like looking at things on YouTube. And so then on these walks in central park, after letting these, these videos that I was watching percolate about, you know, whatever was, was popular, started to think, you know, I'm coming up on my anesthesia training. It might be really interesting to start documenting what that training experience is like. And the target audience that I had in mind, I, I had several in mind when I initially had this idea was one, you know, it'd be interesting to just share this with other medical students really, who were just, you know, a few years uh, that I was just a few years out of being in the position of trying to think about what it is that I want to do. And the context that I'll add is that many medical students don't get any exposure or much meaningful exposure to anesthesiology. It's not a required rotation in, in many schools, certainly not mine. It actually is a required rotation at Mount Sinai, which I think is wonderful, but a little, a lot of places it's not. And there just aren't very many resources. I couldn't find that many resources talking about what exactly being an anesthesiologist entailed. So initially I thought this would be great for medical students. And then the other audience that I had in mind is um, my parents, because they have no idea what it is that I did on a day-to-day -day basis, except for you know, when we caught up on the phone. And when we did, I wouldn't want to spend the majority of that time just recounting, you know, what my work life had been like. And it seemed, I, I couldn't imagine they wanted to hear so much about that. But I thought if I made these videos, they could see what exactly an anesthesiologist does. And you know, fast forward now several years, and I have learned that there has been a pretty significant interest among the general public in anesthesiology and learning what goes on behind the drapes. And so over time, that's also become an audience that I try to speak to when I'm making my videos. 
Yeah. The one that I think captured my interest initially was you were doing a calculation about the, the price of the drugs you were using, which is I'm very interested in the economics of healthcare. And we talk a lot about on this show and we won't go down that specific rabbit hole, but I, I think it's really interesting, the breadth of topics that you cover. And some of them, you know, are kind of technical, like doing the, the math of like, how are we sourcing drugs and how are we assigning, understanding costs and thinking about cost and utilization in the OR and like clinical decisions related to that. It's, uh, I was really impressed. And then I found out, oh my gosh, this guy's just a resident. He's doing some great work out there. Talk about the first video that you did and like, how did that, you know, did you just take your iPhone and talking into it or how did that unfold? I won't talk too much about the first video that I made because honestly, they were just terrible. But yeah, I grabbed my iPhone, set it on a counter, turned the lights on and sat down with a script that I had come up with and started making videos. I, I think the first video, don't quote me, but I think it was on maybe doing research. And I, you know, that's something that I spent a lot of time doing in medical school. And I was very stiff and I was reading off of a script and I don't know that it was particularly interesting, but I kept trotting through it because I enjoyed it. I, you know, at the end of the day, I try to just make sure that I'm still enjoying what I'm doing and not turn it into a, not let a hobby become something that feels more like a job. But yeah, my first video, I was just sitting, I think on a couch reading off a script. It was, I'll just say, I'm lucky that, you know, I was able to get any subscribers. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I deeply empathize. And whenever I start to get too high on my content horse, I just have to go back to what was called at the time anesthesia success episode two or episode three and i just wince <laughs> so if any listeners are looking for a good laugh check that out the early episodes of this show it's amazing what doing something 200 times will do to your uh comfort and familiarity with uh especially this format you know there's a certain mindset and a certain way of communicating that you get more comfortable with but you've got to you know, for anybody listening who's like, how could I ever, you know, get to that point? Well, the answer is you got to push through a lot of really crappy videos or podcast episodes or blah, like whatever it is, you got to get through the bad stuff to get to yeah. that stuff. And unless you're willing to be embarrassed, <laughs> you're never going to get there, but you can, but a necessary prerequisite is that you push through it. Exactly. And this is, this is a sort of cheesy thing to say, but in, in learning how to do the sort of basics of, you know, video editing and thinking about you know, lights and, and audio so that the videos are at least watchable. I have gotten advice from a, another YouTube channel called Think Media and their intro motto or slogan is you got to just press record. And it, I, I mean, I think there's really something to that. If it's something that you're interested in doing and, and making, you know, any, any sort of content to share with other people, you, you, you just have to get started. Could not agree more. So in the early days, it was the selfie video with the iPhone and you talking about research and then talk about how things developed and evolved and how your process changed over time. Yeah, I have been tempted and I'm still tempted the entire time that I've been making videos to go down the tech rabbit hole. Obviously, it's just so easy to buy really amazing equipment, high quality audio, video, lighting equipment, editing software, and to you know go down the editing rabbit hole as well. Start thinking about how can I make videos that are really flashy looking, uh, really professional looking, but I really have to weigh those temptations with just the sort of purpose of what I'm doing, which is making sure for the whole time that I've been making videos, I've just had to weigh the temptation to go down the tech rabbit hole with just focusing on, on producing content that, for one, I enjoy, 
but the other part of it is just trying to make content that, you know, I think would be relevant for the target audience that I have in mind. So having said all of that, I still actually use my phone a lot and it's really remarkable, you know, phones these days take video that is basically, I mean, it's essentially um, studio quality to the, at least the average viewer, I think. So I have gotten just a lot of mileage out of my iPhone. And then I also have a small Sony handheld camera. I'll put that on a tripod. And uh, I also have a device that's called a gimbal, which is basically just a camera stabilizer on a, on a stick. So I can just walk around and it's really helpful for doing videos where I'm just showing off different parts of the operating room or the hospital. And then I've got a, you know, a, a light that I like to use. And that's basically it in, in terms of my recording setup. Cool. Yeah. And if you want and are open to it, you can maybe just send me a couple of the items that you use because I'm sure our listeners are interested. We'll link to all that in the show notes so people can click through. As you were describing the, uh, you know, the, the gear and the method and all that and the, the temptation to like spend all your time doing that, there's this great book it just brought to mind, The War of Art. I'll go ahead and hold it up by this guy named Stephen Pressfield. It's really about writing and about the artistic pursuit. And he has this personification of this evil force he calls resistance. It's, a, it's like all the things that conspire against you to keep you from actualizing your potential as a, an artist or an entrepreneur or someone who has some kind of grand endeavor. A classic example, and I've run into this in the podcasting world, is like the, the idea that when I spend my time thinking about the kind of mic that, I, should I get this mic or that mic or this boom stand or that one? Like it, li- nobody cares, nobody knows, and you're just creating excuses to not do the hardest part of what you need to do, which is, as you pointed out, just hit record. Exactly. I have to constantly remind myself of that. And the way that I do is I look at the video that has become the most popular on my channel, which I made with very low production quality. And it's shocking to me that it became popular, not only because of the production quality, but also I didn't think the topic was that interesting. And I, I just have to look at that and remind myself whenever I'm you know, looking at, at Amazon and thinking about what next thing I want to buy, I have to I, I tell myself exactly what you just said, which is nobody cares whether or not I have, you know, microphone A or microphone B. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I had the same experience. The mo- I think the most downloaded episode I did was something like episode 19, <laughs> which so like 170 episodes ago, which was entitled something like, don't sign a, an employment agreement before you read this or before you listen to this episode. And it was me and a, an attorney friend who we were drinking a beer <laughs> sitting outside with a, it was very poor audio quality. And I now look back and think, gosh, maybe I should have tried a little harder in terms of the actual quality, but it, it stands up and it has continued to be, I think, a valuable resource for listeners. So it just goes to show you, you can't, you can't always pick in advance what you think the winners are going to be. What was the topic of that video you recorded? The topic of that video was how an anesthesiologist sets up their operating room. So I was basically just going through day one of anesthesia residency. What do you just need to have at your workstation in order to get started? And I had no idea that that would be of interest to anyone except for medical students who are getting ready to rotate through anesthesiology or or maybe you know first day anesthesiology residents but the general public has been really interested in seeing what it is that i use on a day-to-day basis and maybe you have some other uh you know doctors who have been out of the game for certain types of cases or you know other like crnas or other people who are 
there's a lot of people out there that you're helping to, you know, set up their OR. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely right. What has surprised you most about this journey? I have been most surprised by just the number of opportunities that have been opened up by having this channel. And also I think by virtue of being one of the few anesthesiology related people on social media. And there are, don't get me wrong, there there are several, I think, really wonderful anesthesiologists who make excellent content on social media, but there just aren't a lot. And so having said that, I'll, I'll just relate a story about how I got an email. One time I remember at this point, it was a year and a half ago, maybe I was just sitting on my bed and my wife was studying at the desk nearby. And I got an email that said that it was from Carl Penn, the actor. And I opened it up and it says, hi, my name's Carl Penn. I'm an actor. And I was like, there's no way an actor is emailing me right now. And I was, but I was just kind of interested to see like what kind of scammy email I was getting. And I started reading it and it was like, I have been watching your videos as I'm preparing for a role as a pediatric anesthesia. And I was like, wait, hold on one second. And it turned out that he was interested in doing some, some background character research and just trying to get a sense of what pediatric anesthesiologists are like. And he asked me if he could come shadow me at the hospital. And I wrote him back. I was like, Mr. Penn, I like, I'm very flattered. Um, but I'm also a, like, I'm, I'm not even an anesthesiologist. I'm a, I'm a resident and I'm certainly not a pediatric anesthesiologist, although that is what I'm interested in. And, and I'll be pursuing a fellowship in it. And I was like, I am happy to put you in touch with actual pediatric anesthesiologists. He's like, no, no, it's fine. Like, why don't I shadow you? <laughs> and unfortunately that didn't end up working out because there was a, another spike of COVID and the hospital wasn't allowing any non-essential people to come into the hospital. Not that Carl Penn isn't essential. He, you know, <laughs> one castle was like foundational in my childhood. I just couldn't transmit that to the, to the hospital administration. So we ended up, you know, talking on zoom and, you know, he, he was just a wonderful uh, person to talk with. And, you know, so that's a, just one story, but there are a number of, of different, I mean, really it always just starts with an email that I get from someone who happened to watch my videos and uh, wants to interact in some way. And I, I just, you know, to this day, always delighted and surprised to see what sort of interesting opportunities come from, you know, just having a presence on social media. And when there's someone who's looking for, an anesthesiologist or an anesthesiology resonance perspective, you know, I'm one of the few people who comes up. Yeah. I I've experienced sort of my own version of the same phenomenon where when you're very specific in the things that you talk about, 99.999% of the world ignores you. And for the 0.0001, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the best. Right. I'm curious what other opportunities that you couldn't have foreseen or what other kinds of, you know, things have popped up for you just because of the work that you've done. Yeah. So one sort of bucket of opportunities that's come up have been um, industry related opportunities. And, you know, I have, I've been invited to give lectures, travel to um, give lectures, have been invited to conferences on an international level. I mean, the sorts of things that like, I just never would have imagined. I'm getting ready to go speak at a, at a regional anesthesia conference in Belgium 
which it's is put on by a group called Nysora, which is a wonderful resource, and the and the folks who run it are, are just incredible. So I've I've fostered a really wonderful relationship with them, although that's not that's not part of the industry bucket that I had mentioned. But you know, just uh, traveling to um, speak, I've been invited to sit on advisory boards for uh, medical device companies, and. You know, the other thing sort of bucket of of opportunities that come up are really just the ones that I'm able to come up with on my own. The the way that I have conceptualized coming up with topics for my channels, basically, I just come up with whatever seems interesting to me, seems like at least to a certain percentage of people might also be interesting as well. So when I have come up with an idea of making a certain type of video, talking with a certain person of a certain profession, even if it means traveling somewhere, just pack up my equipment, which isn't much and just fly to wherever and, you know, interview someone. And the example that I'll give is I mentioned, I have a small dog. And I think one of the things that, that anesthesiologists, particularly who have pets spend time thinking about is how would I intubate, you know, X animal, name, whatever animal. And, you know, these conversations come up sometimes it's like, how would I intubate my dog? And then, you know, I went, I was at the Bronx zoo and it's like, how would you intubate the giraffe? You know, how long does the endotracheal tube have to be? And then I started thinking like, it would just be so fun to interview a veterinary anesthesiologist, which I learned is an actual field. That's a subspecialty within veterinary medicine. And so I started just emailing veterinary anesthesiologists and I, I, was able to come into contact with one in California who was happy to let me come into her operating room and film an entire dog surgery and then also interview her. And so, you know, this, it's just one example, but I basically anything that I have been able to think of and, you know, found someone who's willing to let me um, put a camera in front of their face, you know, I've just, I've had experiences like that, that that have just been a, a ton of fun. And so, you know, going back to one of the things that I mentioned, which is that I try to just make sure that whatever I'm doing is something that I'm enjoying as far as my YouTube channel is concerned. And that's basically how I approach it. So, you know, opportunities like going in and interviewing a veterinary anesthesiologist and, and watching a dog being intubated, which by the way, not to have like too much self-promotion here, but the video that I made includes showing a dog being intubated and also placing an 18 gauge ID in a dog, it, it, it was the most fascinating thing you know, that I've, but that I think is on my YouTube channel. And so opportunities like that have, have just been the most fun. It's funny as I'm giggling here, I'm just picturing someone trying to, you know, manipulate the laryngoscope at the head of a giraffe. Like, how is this going to work? Yeah, <laughs> I guess it happens yeah. though. So it, it might interest you and, and your audience to know that you know, a lot of zoos unsurprisingly have, you know, media agreements with major organizations like National Geographic. I had actually called the Bronx Zoo and I was like, hey, can I come, you know, film you guys doing stuff? They're like, no, no, we haven't, like, we have an agreement with National Geographic. And I was like, oh, I have, I have like 20,000 followers. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think so. Do you have any like other words of encouragement or specific, maybe actionable? If somebody out there is thinking, you know, I want to go from zero to something more than zero in terms of my online footprint and getting my name and face out there. And you just talked about all the cool opportunities that it's it's difficult to quantify. And if you go into it, like with the idea that 
I'm not going to be happy unless I get that opportunity. Usually it just won't come to fruition. But if you're kind of playing for the love of the game at the outset and you're like, I just want to share my passion with the world. And it just so happens that it's an area of my deep expertise. It does create good things. So talk about like, what should somebody do if they want to go take that first step? From a practical standpoint, I think just writing down your ideas in a central spot is really important and just carry a notebook with you or, you know, even just on your phone. I mean, this is what I do. I just have, you know, my notes app. And anytime I think of something that I may want to turn into a video at some point, I just write it down. That makes it really easy when I have time and want to make a video. I just sit down and look at the list of ideas that I've come up with and just pluck an idea off the list and go ahead and make a video about that. That is much less intimidating, I have found, than sitting down in front of the camera and and thinking, okay, what am I going to make a video about? But if you already have a list that you generated, it, it facilitates that process. And Along those lines, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about making any any type of you know social media or content that they would like to share, just consider that what may seem mundane to you in your area of expertise or or the area of interest where you're making your content actually might be of a lot of interest to many other people. And the example that I'll use is you know my day to day setup in the operating room. I I can guarantee you that basically no anesthesiologist thinks that the that the basic setup that we do for providing anesthesia for um, any type of surgery nobody thinks that that's interesting. But you know, we have been doing this for, I mean, years and any individual anesthesiologist has been doing this for years and they just sort of lose sight of the fact that so many people think that may think that um, what you're doing is interesting. So I would encourage people to sort of step back and, and take a broader view of what it is they're doing. You had also pointed out um, the economics of, you know, how much does a bottle of propofol cost? you know, again, not something that most anesthesiologists really care that much about. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, of course there's a value that's associated with that. Why am I going to spend much time thinking about it? Well, a lot of patients who are coming in for a procedure and who are going to be receiving propofol may have a, a, not just a casual interest, but, you know, a real financial interest in understanding how much the raw materials cost. So I, I would encourage people to, you know, sort of think about how, mundane things to you might not be so mundane to other people. Consistency, I think is, is pretty important. I don't know that frequency is necessarily, it it actually probably is pretty important. I think that the way that, you know, many social media platforms are designed is such that they reward frequency of, of posting or uploading, but that really has to be balanced against, you know, how much time and energy you have to make content. And if you're um, investing all of your free time in making content, that's probably a recipe for not enjoying it anymore. So I personally have settled for not focusing on, on frequently making content. You know, so on average, I can make maybe a video a month, sometimes more, sometimes less, but um, you know, not a ton, but I try to be consistent about it. And I think that would be the other piece of advice that I'd offer is just, you know, try to try to make content semi-regularly if you can, but I, you know, I already mentioned this, but I think it's worth highlighting. Just make sure that you're enjoying what you're doing because the moment that you go from, you know, an enjoyable hobby to, you know, I, I'm not going to make plans this Friday night because I need to sit down and record this video. All of a sudden it becomes way more burdensome. And I, you know, just to connect this back to my early interest in music, I still enjoy playing drums. 
I really love playing drums. And so, you know, once a month I play with some of my co-residents and, and, and attendings, we rent out a, a studio and just play in our band. We're not on tour yet. When we are, I'll, I'll let you know. We're not anywhere close. It's probably going to be a, a number of years, possibly decades, but it's really fun. But that contrast with some of my friends that I made in college who went on to become professional drummers, they're phenomenal musicians. It's a job. And it's just not, I don't think that they have the level of enjoyment playing drums that I have, even though they're playing. I mean, one of my friends is a, is a touring musician for a, an immensely popular band and it's a grind. He's on the road 200 days a year, you know, playing in front of a big audience. I, I don't think it's super fun for him, but for me, you know, playing with my co-residents is, is great once a month. So don't overdo it it's the other piece of advice that comes to mind. Yeah, I think uh, my experience with doing what you're passionate about, it does come through in the way that you communicate and the heart that you put into it, what Seth Godin would call a the spirit of generosity. I think there's different ways to define generosity. And one of the ways he defines it is expressing deep care in the way that you deliver the thing that you are wired to be able to do really well. And one of the examples he uses is, is a surgeon, like if you're doing surgery, really being engaged in the well-being of the patient and delivering the best outcome and having a connection and an empathy there. It's not like you're doing it for free. That's not the generous. The generous is delivering something with that deep empathy. And I think when it comes to content, talking to people like you care about the listeners and like you want them to understand, people pick up on that. And it often creates something much more powerful and special. And it, you're much more likely to, I think, get critical mass and get some sort of platform than if you're just trying to, oh, I don't, I want to do something that people are going to like, what should I do? Like, that's usually, it's backwards. You should just say like, what am I so passionate about that? If this never goes anywhere, I would consider it time well spent to explore these things. So yeah, couldn't agree more. The cool. other well, piece we'll, go, yeah, go ahead. I, just one other thing that I would offer to anyone, particularly someone who is a physician or, uh, you know, another type of medical professional, it's just so important. And it, it almost goes without saying, but then when you look at the news, you realize that this probably does deserve to be said. It's just so important to make sure that um, you take a professional approach to what you're doing. And there are a couple of specific issues that come to mind. One is, you know, when, when I am at work, I am a physician. I'm not a, so I'm not an influencer. I'm not there to make content. I'm there to take care of patients. And I think unfortunately it's easy to, to sort of lose sight of that and get, get really excited about trying to document what you're doing, you know, for, for the gram, or, you know, for YouTube, but it's just, it, it's incredibly important to, to just maintain the focus that you've always had that, you know, you're there, you're there for your patients. You're not there to, to do anything else, least of all, you know, make um, social media content. And so along those lines, I think it's just tremendously important to make sure that um, if you are going to be making any type of content, particularly as it pertains to medicine, make sure that you have a really good understanding of, of what is um, allowed in the environment where you work. If you're in a hospital system, obviously respecting patient privacy that, I mean, that basically goes without saying, but, you know, make sure you're respecting patient privacy, but also most hospital systems have these days social media policies and, you know, Mount Sinai has a handbook that is, that is you know, freely available for employees to understand, you know, what, 
what is considered appropriate behavior in terms of social media use and social media production. And it never hurts to just err on the side of caution and ask, you know, your superior or your boss or the department chair, is it okay for me to pursue this particular interest that I have? And so when I got started with my channel, before I pressed record on anything, I sat down and spoke with my program director and asked him, would it be okay for me to make these types of videos and represent myself as, as a resident in this department and started with that. And, and so he, you know, gave me his blessing and has been, I'll, I'll just say that the Mount Sinai anesthesiology department has been unbelievably supportive of my um, social media endeavors. But my program director also said, why don't you touch base with the uh, press office in the hospital and just make sure that you're following any um, expectations that they have. So I, for anyone who's thinking about making content again, especially for medical professionals, um, but really, you know, I think this would apply for any industry, just make sure you do your due diligence about, you know, what, what's appropriate for you to make and post online. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to make content, but you just have to be careful with, with what you share and do it in a professional way. Yes, totally agree. I think that's a great thought to conclude on. Dr. Max Feinstein, thank you very much for joining us today on APM Success. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions and also your time. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.